This is Digital Health Today, episode 29. When I think about the future state of collecting data directly from patients and not limiting it to -to face-to-face encounters, I see that that will inform our understanding of disease, enable us to identify better and earlier triggers of disease. In addition, the data that will determine disease state, are we getting better? Am I getting worse? That will also be collected directly from the patient's home, directly from the patient's life. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. This episode is brought to you by Bear Grants for Apps and their new DealMaker program. Bear Grants for Apps is calling all mature teams, startups, and companies that have a solution ready to go. The new DealMaker program is all about quality FaceTime between you and Bear experts for one full day. Don't wait. Applications are open until June 30th, 2017. Visit grantsforapps.com forward slash Berlin. That's grants, the number four, apps.com forward slash Berlin. Welcome back. This is Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders working to make the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 29. I don't have to tell you that mobile phones have an important place in the daily lives of billions of people around the world. They've transformed the way we work, how we live, and how we bank, travel, and communicate. You probably also realize the power that mobile devices have to change, improve, and accelerate our understanding and management of health and wellness. Unfortunately, the true power of this nearly ubiquitous platform is often rate-limited by the tools available to developers, researchers, and clinicians. Today, we're talking about the challenges and solutions to making mobile apps compliant and interoperable. And to dive into this discussion, I'm speaking with Dr. Michelle Longmire, a physician entrepreneur based in Palo Alto, California. Before we jump into that, let me first say thanks. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of what we're building here. It wouldn't be possible without you tuning in week after week. And thanks to you sharing this podcast on social media and with your network, our digital health community is growing and reaching thousands of innovators and transformers around the world every single week. I really appreciate all the encouraging words and compliments on Twitter and that fill my inbox. It really means a lot that you take the time to let me know how this is impacting your daily work and daily lives. I invite you to also add your comments and reviews to iTunes. That's one of the most direct ways that you can help spread the word. It will help us rank better in Apple's search algorithms and reach more people. If you need some help on how to do that, visit digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash support, and we have some instructions right there. It takes less than two minutes, and you can do it from your iPhone. I hope you've planned some time off this summer to recharge your batteries. We've been planning some time off as well, but never fear. We have a lot of great guests coming up so you can continue to hear what is happening in the evolving field of digital health. As always, I welcome your comments and participation in this program, and if you have a story you'd like to share, visit the website and tell me about it. Jump on the contact page at digitalhealthtoday.com, use any of the links there to get in touch, or email me directly at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com, or tweet me at healthtechdan. We welcome your articles and suggestions on how to make this platform most effective and helpful to you. And finally, thanks for all the interest in the online digital health innovation program we're running. It's called the Digital Health Jumpstart. This program is designed to help accelerate from innovation to implementation. And thanks to all the interest and response that we're receiving, we're working to tailor this program for startups, corporates, universities, and not-for-profits so we can make the maximum impact. If you need a better understanding of business models and regulatory requirements, if you need clinical input, or if you're trying to figure out how design thinking can be applied in your organization, we've got you covered in this program. Find out more by clicking on the links on the website or just by going straight to digitalhealthjumpstart.com. We're bringing together a world-class team of instructors with decades of experience to help you accelerate your work in digital health. 
Get in touch and I can share more about this program and how it can be used in your organization. Okay, now on with the show. There are about 300,000 mobile health apps on the market, about double what there was a few years ago. With these apps being downloaded more than 3 billion times per year, one would hope that there would be a corresponding trend in continued and sustained use. That at the very least, the data would be used to provide better insights into research and clinical encounters. Unfortunately, that often isn't the case, and most of the apps, even the ones that are compliant and interoperable, they often aren't integrated with any sort of analytics platform. So the data that they produce exists in a vacuum. Ten years after the launch of the iPhone, mobile health apps really aren't fulfilling their potential. There needs to be an ecosystem that allows rapid development of compliant and interoperable apps, and one that includes better and easier to use analytics. Over the past few years, we've seen innovations like Apple's Care Kit and Research Kit and Research Stack for Android, but even with these tools, there are still hundreds of decisions that developers need to make in order to create effective and compliant apps. Here to give some context and understanding is Dr. Michelle Longmire. Dr. Longmire studied medicine at the University of New Mexico before completing her training in dermatology at Stanford University. Dr. Longmire is part of a growing group of physician entrepreneurs, and she's driven by her desire to improve human health through advances in technology. She's also the CEO and co-founder of Medible Inc., a Palo Alto-based application and analytics platform that's focused on healthcare. She's going to tell us how she made the move from physician researcher to physician entrepreneur, how her entrepreneurial journey has evolved over the last few years, and what's being done to integrate mobile application data from the home to research to the clinic. She knows what she's talking about because Medible is already being used by leading pharma, med device, and implantable companies. And even beyond that, their platform is being used by providers themselves to develop solutions that engage their patients in clinical practice. Medible is also a part of the USC virtual clinic we spoke about back on episode 9 with Dr. Leslie Saxon. So you can go back and listen to that episode to get some more insights. You can get all the links to the topics we cover in the show notes at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 29. Now let's dive into the conversation with Dr. Michelle Longmire. Michelle, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. It's an honor to be here. Michelle, I've shared a little bit of background with our listeners. Can you fill in some of the blanks and tell us a little bit about your personal journey that got you to where you are today? I am a physician and I think practicing medicine and training and taking care of patients has always influenced my vision for digital health, just in terms of what the system really needs and how the system works. And ultimately, you know, how can I serve my mission as a doctor to better the lives of others? And I'd say that's really influential in how I think about my company and really the contribution that I want to make with technology in my lifetime. So I'd say, you know, really my work as a physician is a key driver in my motivation, inspiration, and even in choosing the problems that we solve as a company. You studied at University of New Mexico and you moved to Stanford to complete your training. Was that a calculated move? Did you know at that time that you wanted to get involved in technology and you wanted to be in a hub like Stanford in order to do that? Or was that sort of happenstance? Well, when I was at the University of New Mexico, and prior to that, I'd really focused my work outside of direct patient care and science. And my background was in imaging and in genomics. And so when I chose to go to Stanford, the motivation was really not around entrepreneurship, but was around being a physician scientist. And I always imagined my career would entail 
caring for patients as a physician in some capacity, but primarily focusing on innovation through science. And once I arrived at Stanford and really discovered this whole world of entrepreneurship, I realized that that was a very strong fit for me as, you know, I'd worked in a variety of labs and always been interested in commercialization of invention, but I'd never been in an ecosystem where entrepreneurship was really such a possibility. And, you know, you come to Stanford and it's very transformative in the way you think about um, what's possible. And prior to that, I'd really seen my contribution being in science as an innovator. So at Stanford, that was radically changed. And I shifted directions from being a physician scientist to really being a physician entrepreneur. I'd say a lot of that in terms of the motivation on my end is the same. But what that looks like in the day-to-day and really the skill set also is very different. Yeah, absolutely. And you're part of a growing number of qualified doctors that have really chosen to take that alternative track and to jump over and make that migration from, as you say, physician scientist to physician entrepreneur. Any any particular thing that you've learned along the way that uh, you wish you'd learned a little bit earlier? Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think doctors get a bad reputation for their business skills. But interestingly, I would say that there are a lot of physicians who have very strong business skills. You know, I'm trained in dermatology. And if you look at the world of dermatology, physicians are very savvy business people. I do think, though, that as you shift over from physician scientist to physician entrepreneur, what inspires you in science in terms of discovery is is amazing, right? It's a new molecule. It's a new understanding. And initially, one may assume that there's a business model around anything of novel value or anything that's novel, but that's not really the case. When you build something, invent something, and someone's willing to pay for it, you know, the bottom line of a dollar versus a publication there's really something in that because it's someone else's resources that they're using to purchase something that you've built. And I have found that to me, that type of kind of validation of value really has, it is important. And I love that about business. Yeah. And a real popular mindset in developing startups out, well, globally, but particularly, I think it started out where you live right now out in Silicon Valley, which is around the whole lean startup mentality and the whole idea of creating a hypothesis and testing, improving that hypothesis or tweaking it and moving along to uh, to iterate to get to a final solution. Maybe with your researching background, creating hypotheses and working to prove or disprove them it might be a good fit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the methodology can kind of be the same, right, which is just evidence-based. So you have an idea, you know, you may think that it's the best idea and that people are going to buy it in droves, and then you actually get out there and test it and realize, hey, it's not quite right in this area. Let's give it a shot from this angle. And definitely that iterative process um, of honing in on what is going to offer the market the highest value and what the market's most receptive to, I'd say it can be very similar to the scientific process and kind of scientific method. So you said something that I really relate to, which is in terms of creating something and then having somebody be willing to give you a dollar for it, to exchange cash for that solution and to have that pain reduced in their life or that benefit realized. That's a very rewarding feeling. And I certainly know that. I've worked in sales roles for 
gosh, almost 30 years now from when I carried a, <laughs> from when I sold newspaper subscriptions door to door to to carrying medical devices and, and, and selling those. But I've never published a research paper. So which gives you the better buzz? Uh, is it the, the sale or the publication? Oh my gosh, Dan. Wow, you really <laughs> tapped into an, an entire like existential question I have in my mind around, you know, I think that humans derive euphoria and satisfaction from discovery. And it is a core part of what differentiates, I think, our species. <laughs> and so that buzz of discovery is really it's amazing. There's, it's, I'd say my first love was science, right? Like when I discover or unlock an understanding, there are a few things that are that amazing from an intellectual experience. And I think where selling a product, the joy of what we've done really comes in the fact that we have built something that we think transforms health. And we believe it has a huge opportunity to make an impact. So when someone buys it, I think we see that as an opportunity for our invention to have that impact, and that's part of the joy of it. But really, like there, there are a few things that beat the dis- the discovery euphoria. So I'd have to say that still is the top. You know, <laughs> okay, it's linked to getting your discovery out there, putting it in the market, or getting your invention out there, putting it in the market, and having it having the impact that you hope. And that really comes around to down to selling the product, market penetration, adoption, and continuing to improve the product based on the market feedback and the user feedback. It's not very rewarding, I imagine, to have the discovery but not have it make any impact. You need people to take that up and, and commercializing a solution is one way of, of realizing yeah. the impact of your discovery. So right. you and I first met in 2013. We were at Dr. Leslie Saxon's body computing conference out at USC. And at that time, you had developed a dermatology app. You're a trained dermatologist. And I think you had an app that was used to track changes in moles. Is that right? It would basically send pictures back and forth and be able to, to get some assessment on mole changes? My initial inspiration to pursue entrepreneurship was for dermatology. And it was for the use of computer vision in this area. We didn't have a specific use case around moles versus acne but we really wanted to build a system that would enable secure collaboration and then computer vision to play a part in that role. And you went on to start Medible, which is the company that you're running now. And the the focus, I believe, when you started Medible was to create a HIPAA-compliant backend for application developers. Exactly. So my first experience as an entrepreneur focusing in dermatology was that um, hey, I've got this idea, and now I have a dermatology app. It was out there. It was used by hundreds of dermatologists, really around initially secure collaboration. And then our vision was to incorporate the AI piece once we had our user base. But you know, in that process, a, a big part of our seed funding went towards developing this HIPAA-compliant backend. And as we got the app out there, my physician colleagues were like, I have an idea for an app, and I have an idea for an app. And, and interestingly, you know, I was in parallel pitching the dermatology solution to the venture community here in Silicon Valley, and they're like, we don't think this is a big enough market. And I remember I was sitting down with someone who became a friend later, uh, Tim Lee from Sequoia Capital, 
and you know, he's like, this is really neat, but I, I wonder, is this the big market opportunity? And it really, that helped me as an entrepreneur and as I began to really think about what problem am I choosing to solve and how big is the potential impact? Is there a better approach to solving this problem that would be much more of a systems-based approach? And so I pivoted the company from an end application focus to really a cloud system that could enable doctors like me or other people really to build healthcare applications. And instead of focusing on an end application, creating the tool set that could be leveraged across the industry for applications in healthcare. And that really is what Medable is today, is a cloud-based solution. Um, and we have solutions that researchers use directly, doctors use directly, and developers use directly, and have the fastest time to market for a HIPAA-compliant application in the cloud for healthcare. And, and that's been a really neat process and was definitely a core part of my learning was how do we make this systems-based impact? That's really amazing because had you not tried to develop that app from the beginning, if you hadn't even taken on that project or tried to make something work, you wouldn't have discovered some of the, the challenges that you were faced with with the HIPAA and, and the high-tech compliance that you needed to have in order to market that product. And certainly those programs, HIPAA and high-tech, are necessary to protect patient privacy, but they're also a, a big obstacle for developers who are trying to find ways to, to innovate. And certainly a lot of people who are coming in from outside healthcare who, frankly, some of them don't have any idea what patient protection, patient privacy is, finding a way to resource that conveniently and in an accessible way and having someone uh, help them to understand those those regulations and, and uh, what it means to be compliant is a necessary step. So is that really the core part of what you're offering and are, are all things sort of balanced off of that at this stage? You know, it's really a core part of it. I'd say, you know, taking a step back, our goal really is to remove the barriers and to democratize technology for what we call precision care and breakthrough insight. So we really are focused on removing barriers to leveraging technology at scale in healthcare. That first application, you know, beyond the HIPAA compliance, because you can achieve HIPAA in, you know, cloud storage, you can achieve HIPAA compliance by locking your phone in a, you know, a safe box, right? But what our application, my initial dermatology application taught me was how do you take HIPAA compliance from a patient-facing application to an extensible database system with analytics that can be ready for AI? How do we deliver compliance across that entire process is, is the first barrier to be compliant. So I'd say that dermatology application was informative because it not only taught us about HIPAA compliant storage, but the thousands of interactions that can happen between patients and providers. And really where Medable is different in our compliance layer is we are compliance and capability. So what that means is that every application has compliance in every user role and interaction. And there's a whole host of things that have to happen for compliance in a healthcare application that's sitting on a patient's phone that interacts with a doctor and integrates with the in EMR. And in building that first app, we really determined and understood how granular that level of compliance needs to be. And so our solution there is really enabling compliance across 
the application from client to cloud. But yes, you know, our philosophy really is to remove barriers and compliance is a huge barrier and compliance from client to cloud is even a bigger barrier than compliance of storage alone. And so I think that that is a first feat for our company was really added a ton of value to our technology because, you know, now you need one front end developer and you have a really easy to use API and you can build a fully compliant app. And we've had people build them in a short, a single developer in a week or even less if they're familiar with our API, um, reducing time to market by a year and hundreds of thousands of dollars and reducing risk by millions of dollars. Now, What's I think really neat is we're moving beyond compliance and we're, we're enabling um, and removing other barriers that I think are important to unlocking innovation in healthcare. Well, let's come on to this in just a second, but just for a lot of developers that might be listening to this program and for a lot of people out there who know about HIPAA and High Tech Act, and we have listeners from all around the world who would love to access the U.S. market, but those two things, HIPAA and High Tech, are off-putting and they're, they're obstacles that they don't necessarily have the resources or the ability to try to go through and dissect that. So I know you've been living and breathing this for the past three, four years. What are some of the headline items that people need to know about the compliance piece and how your solution mitigates that? The headline piece is that HIPAA is non-prescriptive. So if you're like, I want to build a HIPAA compliant app, let me download the manual. doesn't exist. (laughs) HIPAA compliance is really a set of regulations that basically outline kind of a best practices. And they're really six very high level pieces of guidance to achieve HIPAA compliance or kind of broad goals. So what Medible does is it essentially provides what we see as thousands of decisions around how to achieve those goals for mobile and web apps without a developer even having to think about it. And I'd say, so, you know, there's no manual on HIPAA. You have six kind of broad goals and how you achieve those is really a decision of the individual development team. But at the end of the day, you need it to be incredibly secure. You need to ensure that you're achieving, quote, best practices, which are really evolving. And you need to make sure that it scales. So what we do is we provide that security, scalability, and a consistent and you know unrelenting eye on compliance and security so that developers can build their app and never actually even think about HIPAA. That's really our goal so that we offload that entire burden because, again, you know, there's not a manual on it. We took two and a half years to build a compliant architecture because there's a a ton of decisions that are made in achieving compliance at scale. Normally, Michelle, we think of the electronic health record as something that hospitals buy and HCPs use when they're tracking the patient encounter. And realistically, I think that the definition of the electronic health record really needs to be rewritten to include all the things that we do every day to impact our health, you know, from activity level tracking to uh, our sleep tracking to our diet and use of, you know, caffeine, alcohol, tobacco, or even our our mental state. Um, What do you see as the future of of how all that sort of data can combine with what researchers and uh, healthcare professionals are, are gathering to create a more complete picture of the patient's health and maybe their balance and transition between health and illness? It's such an interesting question, Dan, is as applications are on patient phones and as data is captured in the real world versus, as you mentioned, you know, just in the electronic medical record when a patient is in the hospital, you know, how does that 
and does it really change healthcare um, and what will happen with that data. And so in terms of kind of how will this have an impact and what is the current state versus future state, I think of my life as both a physician and a researcher. So, you know, when I'm researching an autoimmune disease and I'm taking care of patients with those autoimmune diseases, in the current state, and especially a couple of years ago, the data capture was really limited to when the patient was in my office. Me asking them questions, um, even about events from the past that they may or may not recall entirely accurately, and then, you know, gathering information from them, their blood pressure, their weight, and, you know, taking potentially a blood sample. And that might happen every six weeks or every couple months. But that's that's the data set that's going to inform both my research and my understanding of, as a physician of that disease. Um, an autoimmune disease, as with many you know, diseases and health, our environment and our daily life really influences um, our health and disease. So what I mean is that, take for example, lupus. Uh, the UV index, the air quality, where you live, how close you are to a freeway, the, you know, what are the key drivers of that disease? Well, in that set of data, we know that air quality and UV index are big drivers. We never capture that data. And also, when you look at disease status, when someone comes in every six weeks or every couple of months, we may determine that their disease status is worse. Well, could we have identified that earlier with data sets? So when I think about the future state of collecting data directly from patients and not limiting it to -to face-to-face encounters, I see that that will inform our understanding of disease, enable us to identify better and earlier triggers of disease that are in the context of how we live our lives. In addition, the data that will determine disease state, are we getting better? Am I getting worse? That will also be collected directly from the patient's home, directly from the patient's life, where we can gather that weight, that blood pressure data, even the patient's symptomatology, how they're actually feeling that day on a continuous basis. And that will help us better manage patients and understand their disease state and intervene earlier. So I think that, you know, when we shift from an EMR, which really reflects a single point in time in a single location to continuous Um, and multidimensional data capture, you know, in a patient's home, over time, multiple types of data, that it will really transform our understanding of disease and our ability to manage disease. This is part of the reason I wanted to speak to you, Michelle, because you're great to ask because you have so many perspectives on this very problem. You're a medic, you're a researcher, you're, uh, I believe, self-described uh, nerd, or maybe you used the word geek. I can't remember. <laughs> so, right. And you've been, you've been driving a Silicon Valley tech company with a global remit to, to change the face of healthcare for, for several years now. So what are some of the obstacles that we face to achieve that future state? And how do we overcome them, importantly? Yeah, I, I mean, there are, there are numerous obstacles, right? And I think we could talk about the technology obstacles all day long. Those are the solvable ones. One of my friends says, you know, show me a problem I can solve with money or technology, and that's a problem I'll choose to solve. <laughs> you know, or let, that's an easy problem to solve in a sense. Um, I think the harder piece is really around the behavior, right? Um, and, and we've seen this in healthcare. You know, we can identify that smoking is bad for us. We can identify that obesity has really long-term health effects. But how do we get people to stop smoking? How do we really 
intervene and, and enable healthier lifestyles. So I think that, you know, when we have our uh, that continuous data flow and we can say, you know, you're getting worse. How do we inspire people to take positive actions in their life? And that really is, I think, the biggest challenge. And and I think that that will require innovation in, in, in many domains to really solve. Um, we are seeing that, you know, what ways to influence behavior with technology that we've seen to be successful are things coming from more the consumer industry, right? So gamification, also just engagement based on utilization. So if you're not using an application and you're involved in a clinical study, we can send you a push notification that says, hey, you haven't been in the study for a couple of days, you know, please come back in and contribute to the under, better understanding, um, you know, breast cancer. And, and so we're seeing how to link technology to driving behavior change, and we're gathering data on that as a company. But I think for this to really have an impact in health, health comes down to individual day-to-day choices. And we really need to, as an industry, understand and, and continue to improve how we can inspire those choices. That's really how we change and move the needle on health. We'll get right back to the interview in just a minute, but first I wanted to tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Bear Grants for Apps. Bear's put together an additional, brand new program that I wanted to make sure to tell you all about. The new program is called the Dealmaker Program. This program is aimed at mature teams, startups, and companies that have a solution ready to go. The brand new Dealmaker Program is all about providing quality face time between you and Bear experts for one full day. If there's a match, then you'll be invited to Berlin to pitch your solution, discuss collaboration options, and even close a deal. You have a long way to travel? Don't worry, travel expenses are taken care of. Find out if there's a mutual interest in starting a bigger journey together. Applications for the Dealmaker program are being accepted until the 30th of June, 2017. What are they looking for? There's a list available on their website that includes hemophilia, women's health, ophthalmology, pulmonology, nephrology, artificial intelligence, data analysis, and clinical trials, but they're also open to other solutions that may be a good fit. Sound like this is for you? Applications are open now, and again, the deadline to apply is June 30th, 2017. Get full details on their website at grantsforapps.com forward slash Berlin. That's grants, the number four, apps.com forward slash Berlin. Now let's jump back to the conversation. So you moved from developing this app back in 2013 or so, 2012, 2013, to then focusing on the HIPAA-compliant back end. And now you've continued to grow that offering into other areas. So what are some of the other areas that you're applying your technology to? So our product, Cortex, is a HIPAA-compliant back end for developers. And we are really excited that now, you know, we've removed barriers for developers. However, we realize that to make mobile a clinical instrument or to democratize the use of technology in healthcare, we need to make these tools accessible to health experts directly. And we launched an effort, a product effort, to create really the first system where researchers could build clinical trial apps without a developer. And this was really inspired by the interest in research kit. So on top of our developer API, we have an application layer that enables someone to build a clinical trial app in really a matter of an hour. And that is a full stack native app 
that renders both for iOS and Android. And what's neat about that is, you know, we walk into a healthcare center company organization and we have now solutions for their researchers, soon to announce a really neat solution for their physicians and a solution for their developers. So by removing first the compliance barrier for developers, but then now making this accessible directly to researchers so they can create apps for their studies to basically put an application in the hand of patients without any development time has been amazing. You know, I think in these organizations and across medical research, investigators want to leverage mobile to get information from patients more directly, to get new types of data, traditional types of data, and to make that real time. And so we've removed that barrier of development and now enable researchers to go mobile directly and launch an app in hours. And this is all cloud-based? Yeah, this is all cloud-based, which is, I think, important. You know, from a data access, patients travel all over the world, and you ultimately, I think, cloud systems are a really important part of this. We do not do on-premise solutioning. Can you give us some examples of some of the companies or some of the organizations that are using this and in terms of what applications? I know you might have some limitations in terms of what you're able to talk about, but any, any sort of examples or use cases that you can speak to? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of paint, you know, the picture of, of what this really looks like in life sciences, we conduct clinical trials. You know, if you go to clinicaltrials.gov, there's 200,000 studies. And really what's happened, you know, in the past is patients come into the hospital, they fill out forms. Um, increasingly, investigators such as myself, I was at Stanford studying autoimmune disease. You know, we'd have patients come in and fill out these forms. What we realized um, is that there's a better way to do it, right? Where a patient could download a mobile app that's cloud connected. They could do the full range of things for a clinical trial from consent eligibility and then ongoing data collection through the mobile app. And that data could be provided to the investigator in real time. So this is in use at, it's hard, I can't disclose the specific customers, but seven of the top 10 medical centers I'd say top 20 medical centers in the United States, as well as on the biopharma side and medical device side. And what we're seeing is that people are able to study disease in new ways. So let me give you an example. Um, One of our customers is studying blood pressure, and they want to understand, say, something like simple, the effect of chocolate on blood pressure. And they have a study where their investigators provide an app, the patients download the study, the application, they then engage in the consent eligibility, and then on an ongoing basis, they are consuming, say, their medication, in this case, just for example, chocolate, um, in a combination with their blood pressure medication, the application tracks that, and then they have a connected blood pressure cuff and heart monitor, and through Bluetooth connectivity, the application also grabs that data. So now, without the patients even coming into the clinic, the investigators can conduct a clinical trial, which is capturing the core parts of the trial, including medication adherence and uh, physiologic or what we call body data. So that's one example. The diseases include heart transplantation, lung disease, autoimmune disease, cancer, GI disorders, and we're seeing that you know, there's 60,000 medical diagnoses. Our goal as a company is to enable investigators to leverage our system to study every single one of those diagnoses, ideally. 
How are you positioning your services? You've got you've got like four different product types. When I looked at your website, you've got Cortex and Axon. Um, what are the other two? We have Cortex, Axon, a product called Synapse, and Cerebrum. So there's clearly a central nervous system <laughs> theme. I picked that up, um, yeah. <laughs> clearly created by the doctor nerd founder. Um, <laughs> but, so, yeah, you know, our product offering is, I'd say, it's a really neat market sweet spot where, you know, from... Stanford to Duke to USC to Penn to MD Anderson to Merck to Pfizer to Boston Scientific and Medtronic, right? Organizations um, are looking to innovate, and that includes, you know, on web and mobile. And in order for these organizations to innovate, they need a HIPAA compliant stack. Um, and they need accelerators for their internal stakeholders. And in each of these organizations, generally speaking, those stakeholders include researchers, physicians, and developers. Um, and so our solutions enable each of those stakeholders and provides them with an accelerator for them to innovate on mobile and web for our developers. And so Cortex is for developers, Axon is for researchers, Synapse is for physicians, and then our analytics solution, which is called Cerebrum, takes all of that application data created by all of those stakeholders within an organization and provides analytics across the app data. So it's a pretty neat offering, and it differentiates us quite a bit in the market because it really is um, a platform that can service the innovation needs of an entire healthcare organization. So, Michelle, you, you've started off with this app that you wanted to develop, uh, or that you did develop, and you had several hundred dermatologists using it. And your perspective has really changed as you've looked at various ways of slicing this problem. So, how did you sort of get from that state of, okay, I'm just going to develop this dermatology solution to realizing that there's a whole big problem that you can solve? with these data sets and with the, the and with software uh, and realizing that there was a real big business case there that you could you could tackle I think that you ultimately learn as you go it's like that old proverb the work will teach you how to do it um, so there's the learning process and also I think one is I get older and continue to do this having goals and that mission and vision is really critical. So, you know, not just solving the immediate technology need, but making sure it's in alignment with the broader vision. So I think all along the way, we have really wanted to enable, you know, what we call precision care and breakthrough insights. So how, how do we really do that? And, and when we started with the dermatology app, you know, the goal was to leverage technology and, and AI and and make an impact there. But as I've learned about the process of innovation, I think that in the process of business, you know, there really is something for going after the biggest market opportunity that you can solve and beginning to solve that show value, get people to and get, you know, paying customers and but continuing to move towards that real horizon of biggest market possibility. In our case, I think that is something that we're calling, you know, digital drugs. That is taking all of this data, um, creating an algorithm that can send a message back or send some sort of intervention to a patient that has as big of an impact as a pharmaceutical agent and showing that. You know, I think it, that, that type of 
bigger horizon and bigger impact, really taking using that to make and influence each individual decision, which at the point in time may seem like a small decision, is really how you, you know, develop and um, grow an impactful and large company. And I think I went from maybe a smaller vision to seeing like, hey, we could do this. And I think if we don't do it, who else is really going to solve this problem? I think we're the best suited to do it and solve it. And I've become you know, more and more inspired by our our vision and actually what I see is real possibility of making that vision a reality. And so I think, you know, as you go through that process, maybe the problem you aim to solve becomes bigger. But I think it's also important that you really see that that's a problem you can solve. It comes down to an evolving vision, but, you know, really ultimately making the biggest impact and most beneficial impact you can make and enabling the greatest market opportunity for your company. Setting out big, audacious goals and really being passionate about solving problems and reaching them. So what does the next two to five years hold for Medible? I know that you've, you've gone on this journey for, what, three or four years now. So what do you think is going to happen over the next two years to, to five years for, for your company or for the industry broadly? Yeah, I mean, I think that we want to show that capturing new types of data does add value So a core focus for us is in using mobile application data on research and in clinical care to then show that we can improve outcomes. And so maybe taking an app that's used to manage, say, psoriasis for a year, taking all that data and then using algorithms to understand how we can drive better outcomes and and really showing those proof points. You know, and I think that over the next two to five years, that ideally includes FDA-approved algorithms that can drive information and suggestions and care plans directly back to patients that are based on data. I think really the industry needs to show value. You know, we all believe digital health has an opportunity to make an impact, but we need to show what that impact is. And so our focus is really on doing that from very basic ways, you know, all the way through FDA-approved algorithms that may automate, you know, full disease management processes. Wow, that's exciting. I, I look forward to uh, hearing about those when, when they get developed because that would be a, a real game changer for sure. Michelle, we've got a, a very engaged listening audience. How can people listening support and engage the work that you're doing at Medible? Sure, you know, Medible aims to maintain a pretty active blog. So that's always a a point of resource. Also, we have, you know, our Twitter account, but always happy for people to contact us, um, either message us through social media or just email our team info at medible.com. We've got a really amazing team of um, engineers and also on the sales business development side and a real team focused on health analytics. So anyone who has you know, input for us based on this session. I'd love to hear their feedback. And Outstanding. Connect with- well, I'll include links to all those things on the show notes. And uh, thanks very much for sharing that. And your Twitter feed, do you have a personal Twitter feed as well? I do. It's just MD at Twitter. Michelle, I've got six questions I'd like to ask you. Do you have a few more minutes for me? I have, yep, a couple more minutes. You have seven more minutes. <laughs> what, is a, right. what is a saying, quote, or phrase that motivates you? Oh, okay. Quote is, Losers focus on winners and winners focus on winning. I freaking love that quote. I think it's by um, a mixed martial art guy who's of recent and it was re-quoted recently in the Olympics. But I love that quote. That's a good one. What advice do you have for others working to innovate in healthcare? Solve a problem that 
you know, really has a health impact and a business opportunity. You, you don't want to choose just one, and you need to validate that it has both of those early. What's a book that you recommend for listeners? Oh, I, I really like Peter Thiel's From Zero to One. I think that's a fantastic book for entrepreneurs. What tech do you use that you wouldn't want to live without? Without, I mean, not including your smartphone well, or something. Uh, of course, my phone, my iPhone. No, no, no. Besides your phone, something more, more, more like that. More uh, any any sort of software or uh, or particular app that you you use that you really rely on. I love my um, iPhone earbuds. I think that being able to listen to music and and also to have meetings with my hands free uh, is huge for me because I'm a huge multitasker. Is that what you're doing right now? I am. Oh, those are your earbuds that you're that you're talking through. Your wireless ones, right? My wireless earbuds, right? Very cool. That's a, a good uh, endorsement of their quality. If I gave you a check for five million dollars for you to invest in healthcare today, where would you invest it? Besides Medible, well, of, of course. course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to oh. say that. Um, you know, uh, Dan, I don't know. I'd have to really think that through. I see a lot of different things because we're a platform, and I have many companies building really neat technologies. Uh, I think that, you know, AI, augmented reality, VR, those are actually really neat areas right now for healthcare. I also love the direct-to-consumer, um, and we have a company that enables subscription birth control on-demand. So I guess the combination of VR and on-demand, that would be an area that I'd be really interested in. Cool. And last question is, we make a contribution to a charity in appreciation of your time on the show. What charity would you like us to donate to? And can you tell us a little bit about what they do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure if you know of NAMI, um, but it is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And it's a phenomenal charity. And I think that, you know, oncology and a number of diseases get a lot of press and money, which is fantastic. But I think mental illness is an area we need at innovation and financial support and philanthropy. So that's an organization I would love to see receive philanthropic support. Absolutely. I'll, I'll include a link to that charity in the show notes. I do know that organization. And uh, we actually had a podcast a little while ago about mental health, and I think we'll be doing more in the future. So that's definitely an issue that's getting a lot more visibility. So Michelle, thanks very much for taking time to be on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we end? No, just, you know, continue. I think your show is awesome, Dan, and I've really enjoyed the interview. Um, and cheers to all the entrepreneurs out there trying to improve human health. Well, there you have it. That's Dr. Michelle Longmire, CEO of Medible, physician, entrepreneur, researcher, and self-proclaimed nerd. Check out all the links we discussed by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 29. And while you're there, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and make sure you never miss an episode. I'd love it if you could also leave us that review on iTunes as well. Thanks to our sponsor, Bayer Grants for Apps. Don't forget to apply for their dealmaker program by June 30th. You can find all the information at grantsforapps.com forward slash Berlin. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at HealthTechDan and follow the show at dhealthtoday. Thanks again for tuning in and being a part of the growing digital health community. That's all from me for now. Until next time, keep on innovating.